0: Thanks, Pastor Jim. Nice to see all of you, or virtually see all of you, however however that is. It's the weekend, um, whether you're watching this on, on Sunday morning or now as I tape this with with Pastor Jim as the, the lone watcher. Um, and normally, if you drop by my house on the weekend, especially on a Saturday, there'd be some sort of sports playing on the television, some baseball or basketball or football. But as my sons grow... I'm finding myself um, being involved in more and more of their stuff that takes us out, away from my television, uh, when games are going on live, the games I want to see. So enter this concept that you might have heard of called the sports bubble. Basically, it's this. If there's a big game going on that you want to watch, you do your best to totally avoid everything about it, to avoid the score, any mention of it. Basically, you just run around with your hands over your ears and avoid it. That's not me. I want to know the score. I don't care. I want to see who won, and I want to see who lost. And how do my team do? Now, if my team lost, especially if it's a heartbreaker lost, last-minute touchdown or something like that, I just don't watch. I don't have to watch. It saves my heart, keeps my blood pressure a little lower. Also means I don't have to go dig out the notes from Pastor Jim's anchor series and deal with all all of that. But more than that, if my team won, now that watch becomes so much more fun, right? I know the ending. I know it's going to be awesome. I like knowing the outcome. Maybe you're not into sports. Some people do the same thing with reading. I don't normally do that, right? They want to know do they does the couple live happily ever after? Does the billing get caught? How does the spy work out of that really tight uh knot they find themselves in? Is the US saved from nuclear disaster by our hero? Right? They read the first couple of chapters and then they flip the back and figure out what's going on and then read the rest of the book, knowing what's going on. Generally speaking, I don't do that. I want to be swept along the journey with the author. I'm bringing this up today because we're going to spend our time in Ecclesiastes 6, which I've read and I kind of agree with, might be one of the darkest and most depressing chapters in the Bible. And I think in this case, it's important that we flip to the back of Ecclesiastes and get that in our mind as we read chapter 6. So take your Bible, flip it open to the back, to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and let's read a few verses there that are going to help us as we deal with Ecclesiastes chapter 6. So Ecclesiastes 12, let's start in in verse 9. It says, in addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly. The words of wise men are like goats and the masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. They are given by one shepherd. But beyond this, my son, be warned, the writing of many books is endless and the excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. So here's what I really want us to think about as we go back, to, go back um, in a little bit to Ecclesiastes 6. Verse 13. The conclusion when all has been heard, is fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. For God will bring every act of judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So just kind of fix that in your mind and think about that as we jump back and as we start going through Ecclesiastes chapter 6. That, I think it will help us. It certainly helped me as I studied the the last couple of weeks to know that end of it to understand what he what he's reading. So flip back in your Bibles a few pages. My my Bible it's about five pages to Ecclesiastes chapter six. I'm going to take a minute. It's only it's only 12 verses long and i'm going to read it all the way through and then we'll 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 go back to the beginning and we'll start working our way through the little chunks of it and figure out here what uh what's trying to be said to us and, and what we should learn so ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 1 there is an evil which i have seen under the sun and it is prevalent among men a man to whom god has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things, and he doesn't even have a proper burial, then I say, better the miscarriage than he, for it comes in futility and goes into obscurity and its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun, and it never knows anything. It is better off than he. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place? All a man's labor is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have, knowing how to walk before the living? What the eye see is better than what the soul desires. This too is a futility and a striving after wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and it is known what man is, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? We'll spend them like a shadow. Or who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? Ooh, <laughs> that's a that's a depressing uh, start to our to our morning. But I think it's a good reminder for us, a, a good mapping of how we're supposed to live. W- let's think about it first. I want to think about this concept that is brought up here in this chapter and multiple times throughout Ecclesiastes, where he says this is a vanity, right? So what is that vanity? It, think of it as like a puff of wind, right? So, like many of you, I didn't have I didn't have heat uh, and electricity um, for the for the last uh, several days, um, but I did have a gas. We do have a gas water heater, which means I have hot water, which is great. And as I took a shot my showers this weekend, right? Because it was cold in the house, and hot water coming out the shower, and all this steam would come would come out and billow and fill the bathroom. And when I open the door, it would go out into the rest of the house. Now that steam eventually goes away, hangs around a little bit. This concept of vanity, of a puff of wind, is even faster than than that, right? It's completely fleeting. You know, it's non-capturable. You can't can't grab it. Um, And so that's the concept he's talking about when he says vanity let's let's think about that it will come up here in a couple of verses go back with me to to the to, to the start of the of the chapter the first couple the first couple of verses and he's going to describe as he often does here in ecclesiastes he's going to he's going to describe a man and what this person has and he's pondering what's the meaning of life how are we supposed to live our lives what am i supposed to be chasing He's going to describe this man for us. And he says, this is an evil. There is an evil, which I've seen under the sun, and is prevalent among men. So in other words, it's prevalent. This is a common thing. Um, It happens a lot. It says, verse 2, a man to whom God has given riches and wealth and honor, so that his soul lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity, there's that word, in a severe affliction. So there's this man, and he has everything, right? He's given riches and wealth and honor and fame, right? Think of honor as fame, right? This is think of think of a, a businessman, think of Bill Gates, think of Warren Buffett, think of a, a movie star, think of a, a sports figure, think of a someone who, who has that all, who has that fame. Everywhere they go, people know them. Who also has wealth? They have everything they can, everything they could want. And he says, "I've seen that man. He has everything he could possibly want, but God has not allowed him to, empowered him. It says to eat from them, or to, or to take advantage of them." Uh, Martin Luther wrote about Ecclesiastes and describes this person as, or this passage as being a description of a rich man who lacks nothing for good for a good and happy life, and yet doesn't have one, does not have one. It's interesting, right? Um, If you think of people who who have a lot of money or a lot of wealth or a lot of fame, they're often, not always, right? But often, they're unhappy. They're always pushing for more. They always need more. Right, they're not getting the enjoyment out of it. It's just another. It's just a just another thing. And that's the man here, right? He's done everything that the world could want him to do. He's got it all. You and I would look at this dude and say, like, wow, man, <laughs> the, you, you got everything, right? You do anything you want. Your power goes out uh, in your house in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Well, just get on your plane and fly to your next house. No big deal. I don't know about you, but that's not right my real my real- reality, and yet he's saying what happens when God has not empowered him to get that well, that was a vanity chasing after that's that vanity that puff of wind that you can't you can't capture he's gonna the author here is gonna drive home this point right this futility of chasing after the world and the what the world considers to be what we need in the next chapter or in the next, uh, next chunk. So look back chapter six, verse three. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many, and lives many years, however many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things. And he does not even have a proper burial. Then I say better than miscarriage than he, for it comes in futility and goes in obscurity and his name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun, and it never knows anything. It is better off than he. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place, no. right? I told you this is a this is a depressing and kind of dark chapter. So basically, he's saying, "Hey, look at is if you're one of these people, you have all this stuff that the world wants you to have, and you you don't enjoy it. You're not. It's just temporary." Are you better off just being a never actually really being born? It's hard to it's hard to think about a a little bit. He says, you know, this man, man fathers a hundred children, lives many years. So, right, a hundred children. Um, that's a lot of of kids. And in the culture of that day, that would also mark wealth, right? If you had had a, a large number of children, you were able to take care of them. You were able to give them proper nutrition. You were able to feed them, to, um, to clothe them, right? That would mean that you had, you had wealth. You were, you had all the things the world says, but it says at the end of verse three there, the soul is not satisfied and he does not even have a proper burial or other translations, um, Talk about that is name, doesn't have a proper name. That concept is more than just like a a label. Hi, I'm David, I'm Steve. It, it's talking about the about the the character of a of a of a person, right? If he doesn't have any of that, he he's out, it's not good. Theologian Karl Barth says, someday a company of men will process out to a churchyard and lower a coffin and everyone will go home. And one will not come back and that will be me, right? We're all headed to that same, that same place. Um, uh, You know, that's what he says at the, at the end of of verse six there. Um, I think of, uh, think of the 1990s rock band, R.E.M. um, And their song, and I'm going to quote this lyric and then it's going to get stuck in my head for like the next three weeks. But, you know, they sing the song because everybody cries, everybody hurts sometimes, right? We all have, we're all headed towards the, towards the same route. It's what we do and what our priorities are in between that start and in between the end. There's an author, Derek Kidner, and he wrote a, a great book on this Ecclesiastes. And he says of this, one could have the things men dream of, which in Old Testament terms means children by the score and years of life by the thousands and still departed unnoticed, unlamented and unfulfilled boy what a tragedy that is right and that's what solomon's saying here like if this is what happens that if you if you part if your comes to be your time and it's your funeral and nobody really notices no one really is sad and you really haven't been fulfilled and lived the life the way you should Boy what's that worth? It's interesting that the author here in Ecclesiastes is pointing out not that man has needs that God lives leaves unfilled, right He's not saying you should the solution to life is you should chase more money, have more children, and get more fame, and get more honor, but rather, as Kinder notes, it's rather that man has needs which God exposes. Some of these, Kidner goes on to say, as we saw, are of a kind, a temporal world cannot begin to meet. There's a hole in us that God only can fill, right? And it doesn't matter how many zeros are behind the numbers in my bank account. It doesn't matter how many buildings are named after me it doesn't matter even how many people know me or recognize my name or when I walk in a restaurant, scramble to take a picture of, of me. Quick reminder here of the context, right? We're about halfway through Ecclesiastes. And the author is starting to set us up for that ending, which we read at the beginning of, of, the, of our time together. And what did we talk about, right? What did he talk about back then? He talked about what you should do, what the conclusion is. He's writing about the life without God and pointing out how bleak and dismal and dreary it is, how unfulfilling it is, no matter what you try to cram in there. Now, the second half of this chapter is going to continue to go down this this dark hole. And you wonder maybe as I did when I read it. Well, why is that? Well, it's because it's a snapshot of man without God, right? And man without God is a pretty bleak thing. Look back in Ecclesiastes chapter six with me. Let's keep going. We're about to verse seven. So let's pick up there. It says, all a man's labor is for his mouth and yet the appetite is not satisfied. In other words, Working's just this vicious circle, right? You work so you can afford food, and you eat, and you're full, and then you're hungry again. I want you to think about the best meal you ever ate. What was it? Bill's hot dog, uh, a Coney from somewhere, maybe a fancy, fancy dinner to celebrate a promotion or a birth or an anniversary. And you were probably full from that for a little bit of time, but I'm betting you ate again the, the next day, right? It's a temporary thing. That's what he's saying. All a man's labor is for his mouth, yet the appetite is not satisfied. You keep eating. You're you're striving after a he's Then says in verse eight, for what advantage does the wise man have over the fool? What advantage does the poor man have? Knowing how to walk before the living. In other words, he's saying, okay, so we said the, we said the, the wealthy guy, he's got issues, right? He's working for all the stuff and he's, that's what his focus is on. Well, now what about the poor man? Is he better off? Well, maybe, but not necessarily, right? It's about what he's trying to do. Verse nine, what the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. And then he and <laughs> he's it all up again. This too is futility, or vanity, right? This is that chasing after the after the wind and a striving after the wind. Stand outside on a, on a, on a windy day, right? As the wind comes whipping through the trees and try to catch it. You're not going to be able to, right? It's going to slip through your fingers. No matter how tight you close your fist, it's going to come flying out. You can't do it. It's an it's not accomplishable. I'm not sure that's a word, but that's what it is, right? You're not going to be able to do it. And that's what he's saying here. Hey, look at all this stuff, if you're chasing after it, you're not satisfying well, you're not going to do you're not going to do it. Verse ten Whatever exists has already been named. And it is known what man is, for he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. So who's that, right? Who's stronger than he is? It's God. For there are many words which increase futility. What then is the advantage to a man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of this futile life? Let's spend them like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him after the sun? Oof. Kind of dark and depressing. Kidner. Again, says it's a double bewilderment. The author here is left with no absolute values to live for. What is good? Are you going to know, or even any practical certainties? What will be? So where do we go? You know, if we just stopped here, if I if I said, okay, that's all, folks, and 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 prayed, you know, we'd. Uh, <laughs> You want to go go straight home or if you're already at home, you'd want to go upstairs or go wherever, pull a blanket up over your head and never come back out. Right. What's the point of life? Right. He's talked about the wealth and working, but it's all empty. It's all futile. Ah, but this is where we start thinking to the end of the book and i'm sorry to steal from whomever i think it might be pastor jim who's doing the last the last chapter but i'm sure when he gets to when we get down to the end of the book we'll talk about this we'll talk about this again but if we think about that right and flip back over to chapter 12 we're going to we're going to think about that what's the conclusion when all has been when all has been heard in verse 13 is this the conclusion is Fear God and keep his commands. And in my reading out of the NASB, and it translates it because this applies to every person. There are other translations that say, for this is the duty of man. In other words, this is the purpose. This is the point of life. We're reminded that that point of what we're supposed to be doing is to fear God. That's the whole man. That's the whole duty of man. That applies to everybody. That's the point of life. It's not this. If we're reliant on wealth or fame or honor or whatever that isn't that, we're just chasing after wind. We're like the people that we're introduced to in chapter six. (laughs) And that's all vanity. It's all striving after It's a striving after win. Paul Tripp's an author, Paul David Tripp, and he wrote a great book that, uh, and I have it here, that some of you worked with me, worked through with me in a Sunday school class here at Calvary a few years ago called A Quest for More. And Tripp, in this book, kind of builds off of that. It's not explicitly about Ecclesiastes, but it fit well with it. And I kept thinking about it as I was studying this week. But he lays out this plan for living for something bigger than you. And I wanted to read you a little passage as he's setting this up. He says, You and I were created for more than filling up our schedules with the sat- self-satisfying pursuits of personal pleasure. Or work, or whatever we're doing. We were meant to do more than to make sure all of our needs are fulfilled and all our desires satisfied. We are never meant to be self-focused little kings, Ruling minuscule little kingdoms with a population of one. Sure, it's right for you to care about your health, your job, your house, your investments, your family, and your friends. It'd be irresponsible to act as if none of these things matter. Yet it is a functional human tragedy to live only for those things. It is a fundamental denial of your humanity to narrow the size of your life to the size of your own existence. Because you were created to be an above more, above and more being. You were made to be transcendent. <laughs> and that's what Solomon's saying, right? In our chapter, he looked at that man. and He said, here's this man with all this great wealth. And for whatever reason, he can't enjoy it. And it's just going to go to a, a foreigner. He's got all these kids. But yet when he dies, all they're thinking about is, oh, do I get that money? He's just there and gone. Perhaps you find yourself today, whenever you're watching this, identifying with the man described in that chapter. (laughs) You're depressed. What's the point of life? Perhaps things are going even well for you, at least by the measurement of the world. You have a good job, a good wife, a good husband, kids. You have things. You can do what you want to do. But you know something's missing. Let me introduce you tonight to the God you were meant to be in communion with, that I was meant to be within, in communion with. Of course, that relationship, right, that was created with Adam and Eve, that walking and talking with God, it has been ruined by sin. But here's the good news. Out of his enduring love for us, God sent his son Jesus down to earth to take on the punishment a holy God demands and to make it possible for that relationship to be restored. If you don't know that God, if you don't have that relationship, if you listen to this and you're like, I don't get this, talk to reach out to, to your deacon, reach out to me, reach out to pastor Jim, to pastor Michael. We'd love to 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 take you to coffee or meet you at church and walk you through how you can you can develop that relationship well maybe you do have that relationship maybe you are in a communion with god and you recognize that you're a sinner and, and all the stuff we just talked about what can we take out of this out of this chapter as i was thinking about this this week and why it's such a bleak and depressing read and i read it over and over and over again and every time i just found myself getting more and more depressed it's because there's a lack of purpose there each of these people described has no nothing they're doing that has any lasting purpose wealth is temporary it comes and it goes just watch your 401k watch the stock market right um there's always a moving goalpost, especially when it comes to money. My first job out of, uh, out of college in, in the late 1990s, I was a sports editor, uh, sports reporter at a small uh, town in rural Illinois. There are two stoplights, one on each side of the town, one apartment building, a great pizza place across the street from, from where I lived in an apartment building. And I made, I think, about $18,000 a year. And with all my bills and stuff, I covered all those. But I remember thinking, you know, if I could just find a job with with twenty five thousand dollars, pay twenty five thousand dollars, I'd be set. Guess what happened when I found that job paying twenty five thousand dollars? I started thinking, well, what about thirty thousand? And on and on. Right? Why is why is that? Because I didn't have any. My goal was kept moving, and that's that's true here of the of the man that uh, that's being described in chapter six. Right, his his goalposts are being moved. He keeps adding; he's adding wealth and fame and honor and even kids, and for what? For nothing. It's fleeting. It's just gone. He dies, and it's off. in his book that we just read from, says we were made to experience, to be part of, to be consumed by, and to live in the pursuit of the one glory that is truly glorious, the glory of God. So I wondered this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whenever you're watching this, how are you living your life? How am I living my life? What is your purpose? Is it these temporary fleeting things? And do you find yourself in this depression of thinking, what's the point? I'm just going to keep it. It all goes away. Or because it's all going away in the end, you're just like, I'm going to, I'm going to maximize everything. I'm going to laser focused on my job and all this other stuff's going to not be, not matter to me. Or do you have purpose in your life i'm a reporter it's what i do and i'd like to go back in the archives of newspapers and read these great stories by people i've never heard of um, who worked at the same places i now work at just you know 20 30 40 50 60 70 years years ago and i occasionally think of that what will happen when i'm gone well people even remember a, David, who this david jesse was if i'm going after if i'm if my life is modeled like the man described by the author of ecclesiastes they're not it's just gonna be temporary and fleeting there's a song i want to close with don't don't worry i'm not gonna i'm not gonna sing nobody wants nobody wants to do that hear that um by a uh, a group that was big when I was in the youth group in the in the 90s, and it was Jeff Moore in the distance. And he sings this song, and I'm just going to read the lyrics, and I want us to think about it. He says, when the music fades into the past, when the days of life are through, what will be remembered of where I've come, when all is said and done? Will they say I love my family, that I was a faithful friend? That I live to tell God's own tell of God's own son when all is said and done. Oh, how I long to see the hour when I would hear that trumpet sound, so I could rise and see my Savior's face and see him smile and say, Well done. That's what it's about. That's what purpose is. And that's what we can take out of this passage of Ecclesiastes, this chapter that's bleak and full of despair. It's a warning to us. Focus on what life really is. And that's where you'll find your purpose. And that's where you'll where you'll do what you were made to do. Be transcendent. Be more. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this reminder of what life is really about. That it's not about the accumulation of wealth or fame or number of kids or any other markers the world might have. But in, that that's all vanity. It's all fleeting. It's all just the whisper of the wind. It's trying to catch the wind. But we know, as is said at the end of the book, right, that our duty is to fear God, but to follow him. Help us as we go forth today, tomorrow, this week, next week, next year, to have the true purpose of life here on earth what we're supposed to be doing, the forefront of our minds. Thank you for this time. Thank you for technology that allows us to, to gather in our houses and all share in the same time of learning, in the same time of prayer, and the same time of worship. Be with us now. We pray for those who might be without power today. Keep them warm. Help the power to be restored to their houses quickly. Give us a good week. Bring us back together on Wednesday night for prayer meeting and Sunday again, to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.